Who here has heard of somebody named John Wesley? Okay. For those that have not, let me tell you about him. He is the founder of the Methodist Church. Um, He was ministering in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And this is his story. So as a young man, he went to seminary at Oxford. Oxford, you know, what? Top one, two university in the world. So goes to seminary at Oxford, but seminary isn't enough. He has to differentiate himself. So he and his brother start this thing. They literally called it the Holy Club. How'd you like to belong to that? What club is this? This is the Holy Club. Can I come in? No, you cannot, right? It's that club and it's where they prayed and read and fasted and give and they proved they were the kind of people that deserved Oxford. Graduates from Oxford and becomes a missionary. Guess where he is a missionary too? America. How crazy is that, right? So late 1700s, he comes to Georgia and he's a missionary in Georgia, starts a church, begins to pastor this church, falls in love with a gal. Dun, dun, dun. Happens to be the governor's daughter. She, however, does not fall in love with him. Marries somebody else, he gets mad, kicks them both out of the church. You don't kick out the governor's daughter from your church, just not a good move. He actually, because back then, you settled things with pistols, right? That's how things got settled. He's actually on the run for a while, has to get on a ship and sail back across to England, like hightail at home. Gets to England, just disenchanted with everything. Reluctantly goes to this corporate worship time. One night, the 24th of May, 1783, goes to this church on Aldersgate Road. And while he's sitting there in corporate worship, he was reading the introduction to Romans by Martin Luther. And he said something changed in that moment. He trusted Christ alone for salvation. It is in that moment, he goes, I felt a sense of warmness flood into me. And he was transformed. Now up to that point, seminary, fasting, praying, giving, missionary, church planner. He'd done all this stuff, all these good works, but it was really a game. It was a holy club game. It was a look at me. That's what he was doing. And all of a sudden from that point forward, Aldersgate Church forward, it didn't come from outside. It didn't come from him forcing. It wasn't weird. It wasn't judgmental. It wasn't a game. It was a genuine second natured Christianity from inside of him. And he becomes one of the greats of church history. Brilliant, brilliant man. So right now, we are in a section of the Bible. I call it the gospel of the kingdom. It's the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter five, we finished that last week. Jesus goes through six things that are bad that can interfere with the kingdom. Anger, lust, lying, vengefulness, hatefulness. These things are gonna interfere. They're bad and they interfere with the kingdom. And most of us are like, yeah, I can recognize that. Chapter six though, Jesus mentions three good things done for the wrong reasons can also interfere with the kingdom. John Wesley's side. 
or you end up kicking people out of your church. You're not the right kind of person because it's actually not who you are. It's a game you're playing. So this is brilliant. It's source talk. It's inside, not outward conforming, but inside transformation, metamorphosis that Jesus is after. So check it out. Chapter six, verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus begins this new section with a warning, beware. If you see a beware of dog sign, what does that mean? If you see a beware of high voltage, what does that mean? If you see a beware of cliff, what does that mean? Beware of attack chicken, beware of hangry wife. What does it mean? It means there's a potential for health affecting danger in front of you, right? Now, if you see a beware of electricity, is electricity bad? No, it allows you to hear my voice. It turns on these lights, it opens these doors, it heats up that hot tub. Electricity isn't bad, but it's telling you that there is a right way to use electricity and a wrong way to use electricity. So when I was looking at beware signs of Electricity, I found this sign right here from like 60 years ago. Look how good that is. Remember, kids, <laughs> electricity will kill you, right? Haven't we softened everything now? Like, this is just telling you the truth. Hey, it's got a knife to you. I just love it, man. I'm gonna get a t shirt with this on it. Like, we need to get back to that kind of communication, real clear. No questions about that. <laughs> So the warning is, hey, look out. There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with something like electricity. So Jesus here, his warning is, beware of practicing your righteousness. Now that's a funny kind of phrase, right? What does practicing your righteousness mean? In the simplest terms, it's your good works. Jesus will mention three of them, praying, giving, fasting. That's what it is. And there is, I think with some of us, because of our church background, maybe we're in a certain church where good works actually became a bad word. That if you were doing good works, look out, you're, you're a legalist. So we have to back that up for a second. Are good works bad? No, it's like electricity. There's a good way and a bad way to do them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, hey, do your good works in such a way that people see them and they give glory to your father who's in heaven. 
So it's the same thing. It's a warning. It's not, hey, don't do these anymore. Like, oh, it's so dangerous. Don't use electricity. No, there's a right way and a wrong way to use it. The wrong way, Jesus says, is this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's the problem. That the way that you're doing your works is so that people see you, notice you, applaud you, right? Even our culture today doesn't like this. Our culture doesn't like when people do their stuff to be seen. You guys heard about the Maui fires? Hear about what happened to Oprah over there? Because she showed up doing her good works with, guess what? Cameras to record it. So I just kind of Googled like people's response to it. I wrote a couple down. This is how people responded to that. If Oprah wants to come, that's great. Put the cameras away and do something out of the goodness of your heart, not for clout. Or this one. Integrity is how you act when no one is watching. She shouldn't need her helping to be filmed. Or finally, virtue signaling and putting people who are traumatized and have lost everything on news to make yourself look important is really gross in my opinion. And these are the ones that I can read in church. There's a whole bunch more. Yeah, I just can't read that. That's not gonna work. (laughs) But before I sit here and point at Oprah or anyone else, I have to say, what about me? How do I do my good works? I'm up here right now talking about Jesus. Is that a good thing? I certainly think so. Seems like a good work to me. I study, I do that stuff, right? It's practicing righteousness. Now, why am I doing it? Am I genuinely up here to help you, to give you what Jesus says to transform you into the kind of people that he wants to spend eternity with? Is that why I'm up here? Or am I up here to get an attaboy, to get a pat on the back, to get likes on Facebook Live, to be written up in the Daily Courier? If I'm being written up in the Daily Courier, it won't be for good works. It's never good. It's always bad. So that wouldn't work. Do I want you to think that I'm a kind, compassionate, full of empathy pastor, a loving husband, a great brilliant father. So I'm up here. Is that the stories that I tell? And I always say this, listen, I am at best an average dad. That's it. Don't put me on a pedestal. I am at best an average, right in the middle, which still means I'm better than half of you guys. So I'm okay with that. Why do I do what I do? What's the motive behind it, right? Is public Matt more righteous than private Matt, right? What audience am I living for? Do I do my good works in such a way that I'm kind of looking around, making sure somebody glances and somebody notices and maybe someone will take a picture and maybe someone will post it. Do I pray? Do I fast? Do I serve? Do I give in such a way to be noticed? I got to look at myself. Am I two-faced? Am I two-faced? If I am, here's the warning. Jesus says this you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. There's no reward from God. The little tiny dopamine rush you get from someone noticing you or the pat on the back or the number of likes, that's all you get. 
And when it's gone, it's gone. The little lift you get in your spirits for a moment, like the wind, it comes and it goes and that's it, fades away. That's the only reward you get. So Jesus says, you're, I, when I do that, I'm like the hypocrites. That word is actually a theater actor. And you've seen them, the mask that they would wear, the big smiley mask or the big frowning mask, that's what they, they would, what was that? The, the big smiley mask, the big, uh, sometimes, yeah, I hear things, I'm not sure if they're there or not. It's, it's, the, it's the metal plate in my head from Nam. I mean, it's what it is. So the hypocrites, they, they had these masks and it wasn't who they really were. They'd put the mask on and they'd, they'd step into that character, but it was a game. It was plain. It was not authentic. It wasn't genuine. Jesus says, that's what you are. You're playing a game and that game is dangerous. And here's the game. When I'm doing my righteousness, when I'm doing it all to be seen, here's the games I think we play. Number one, we play hide and go seek. We're hiding who we really are, but at the worst possible moment, the real you comes out, the real me comes out because you can't have it forever. I noticed this uh, in seminary. So I went, when I was still here at Edgewater, I was going to seminary 2012 to 2016. And the way that they had it set up, it was this hybrid system. I would go up to Portland for three times a year, up to two weeks, and I would get all my class time done up there, just 40 hours a week, and then do stuff back here, papers, reports, whatever, read books. So when I went up there, I'd stay at this youth hostel because it was 25 bucks a night. You get a bunk bed in this room. It had like, I think four or six different bunk beds in it. So there could be 12 people in there possibly, but 25 bucks a night. So I'd stay there. And this one time it was a June, like uh, 2014, I'm staying up there. And these two guys were staying with me, Chris Joy and Alex. I can't remember his last name, but it was Ukrainian. It was hard to pronounce. So great guys, mid twenties, passionate about Jesus, loved the kingdom. We had the best time. We'd stay up till 1, 2 a.m. talking about Jesus, talking about theology, talking about what God was doing. Love these guys. Well, on Friday, they left because their classes were done. And then I was by myself. And then Monday morning, I was told by the hostel, hey, you're getting a new crew in, some pastors from Sacramento. And I was stoked. I'm thinking, man, this is gonna be great. Pastors from Sacramento, we can talk and share and learn and grow. It'll be great. Well, had a long day that day, started at eight. Uh, did, had a lunch or a dinner that night, so didn't get back to my room till eight o'clock at night, expecting them to be there. They're not. I'm like, okay. Their stuff was on their beds, so I go to sleep. Then I had this dream that night. Dreams are so weird. I had this dream that that week in seminary, I started smoking cigarettes. And I remember in my dream, I was like, oh, this is gonna be terrible. I gotta go home and tell Charity. She's gonna ask me like, how was seminary? Well, I learned about Jesus and I started smoking. I thought this is gonna be really awkward, right? Well, I woke up at 2 a.m. because of this dream and I'm like, oh my goodness, the room smells like stale beer and cigarettes. The pastors came back. Oh, how strange is that? So I got up before they did because they were tired. And then I went to school, got back that night. They weren't there. They repeated that pattern every night. One day I found one of the guys, he was actually packing up, had a banjo with him. And I was like, bro, what's the deal? This is what he said to me. Oh, you know, we just need a weekend to blow some steam off. No, you're playing hide and go seek. This is your time that the real you actually comes out. When we play games, the real you comes out. That's what happens. The second game we play is hungry hippos. You ever play that with your kids? You pound that little thing, you get as many marbles as you can. If you and I are doing what we do, 
for the accolades of people, for the praise of people, for the whatever it is, it'll never be enough. You're a hungry hippo. You'll start fishing for compliments. You'll try to draw attention to yourself. Every good deed, you'll have to record it and post it, right? Oh, I got a new foster care kid this morning. Oh, it's so amazing, right? Everything has to be categorized and lived in front of other people. And you're always living for that temporary little dopamine rush. But you need more and more and more and more of that dopamine. You become a drug addict. You're a hungry hippo. It's a game of survivor. Remember that? You get voted off the island, right? You know, you get whatever happens and you slowly get popular people get voted off. Think for a second, how many people in our culture at one time, man, they were the darling of our media and now they're the devil. Can you think of anybody like that? I think about Elon Musk, right? Six years ago, seven years ago, he was saving the world, man. He's the greatest person on earth. Now you read the news about Elon Musk. He's Satan incarnate. Like, wow, that was fast. How about Donald Trump? 2012, he was like on Oprah Winfrey, right? He was in, he was cool. Now he's hated. Man, it's eventually, listen, if we are living for people's praise, if we're li- eventually you get voted off the island. Eventually you do something they don't like. Eventually it comes for you, right? So for the last four years, it's just been crazy. The cancel culture thing, just been crazy. And I don't have social media, I tell people it's why I'm so happy. So try it out. I don't know. So, but people were sending me this stuff like during the BLM and the riots and the Antifa. And it was this comment that was put on Twitter. And it was this, they would say this, quote, just ominous Christians. If you don't post about fill in the blank, we will remember. Wow. You're gonna vote it off the island. Unless you pander to us, unless you do exactly what we say you want, we want from you, unless you do that, we'll vote you off the island. And even if you don't get voted off the island, listen, people don't remember you. People don't remember me. They don't remember our good works. What do people actually remember? The bad things we do, right? They remember the bad stuff. That's what they remember. Or or they just simply forget. So I get up here and I try to really practice on what, how to communicate exactly, whatever. But here's what I know. You guys forget my sermons. I know that, that those doors back there are actually gigantic magnetic erasers. And you walk out of them, it just wipes the hard drive clean. And you're just really sad. It's starting to work on me. I go out there and people are like, hey, remember when you said that? I said that? When? Like five minutes ago in there. Oh, okay. Well, what else did I say? Anything good? So it's a game that we start playing that, man, it just does not get what you want. You get voted off. You start playing, I call it one-upmanship. You know what that is? You always have to do a little bit more than someone else. Someone talks about their good work and what do you have to do? What do I have to do? I have to do a little bit better of a good work than you. You know people like that? All of us know people like that. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't know anyone like that. It's you, stop it, right? Or you play this one, the secret Hitler. Anyone here play that game, secret Hitler? Yes. So it's this game, I've never played it, but there was a group of kids that would come over to my house and they would play it till like 12 at night. 
And it's a very loud game, or at least the way that they played it, it's very loud. And usually they would play the game Secret Hitler on Saturday night when I got to come in here and preach the next morning. So if I was grumpy on a Sunday morning, blame Hitler, because that's who's doing it to me. But the game is this, there's like a group of people and then someone is Hitler and you got to figure out who it is. And throughout the process of the game, you figure out who the Hitler is. Listen, when we're playing and we're gaming and it's all outward and there's nothing inward, it's all to be seen, one day Hitler comes out. You can hide it. One day Hitler comes out. And we are an image obsessed culture. Do you know that? But one day, one day it'll come out. Has anyone here heard of the liver king? Okay. So if you don't know the liver king, here's a picture of him. Oh, wait, that's a picture of me. Next slide. No, don't laugh. You're not allowed to laugh. Okay, so in shape, right? Appears to be in shape. Okay, that's enough of him. I don't want to see him anymore. Turn him off. Okay. (laughs) I feel better about myself now. So this was his thing. And I followed him for a while because he's just fascinating. He would take raw liver, like a gigantic cow liver, and just be like, hot, and just start eating it. Raw, right? That's why he became the liver king. So he has this thing called ancestral tenets. And it was, we have to get back in touch with the way that we used to live our lives, eating raw liver, I guess. And then not wearing shoes, because you need to ground yourself on the ground, like the currency, and you gotta be grounded. And then in his house, he has a wife and two kids, they, he didn't allow them to have mattresses. They, they slept on wood planks, right? So his whole thing was, if you live like me, ancestral tenants, you'll look like me. Well, guess what? There's a secret Hitler in there. Turns out about a year ago, they found out that the liver king was actually spending $11,000 a month on performance enhancing drugs. That's why he looks like that. Not from eating liver, Okay. It eventually comes out. Jesus is saying, there's all these games you can play, but eventually the game has a loser and it'll be you. And by Jesus's day, here's what was happening. Religion had become a show. It was a show. You could tell who the good people were really easy because they looked a certain way. It was really easy to see the good people. Jesus says later on in the book of Matthew, he talks about enlarging their phylacteries. Do you guys know what a phylactery is? So in Deuteronomy 6, God says this to his people. Bind my word to your head and to your hand. Now, based on the rest of scripture, I don't think that was a literal thing you were supposed to do. What you were supposed to do is you're supposed to have God's word in your head so you thought godly thoughts. You're supposed to have God's, hand, God's word on your hand guiding the way that you interacted with the world. That's, read Proverbs. That's what it's saying. But they took it literally. So they'd make these little boxes out of wood and they'd put God's word into it and they would have a leather strap and they would strap that box to their head or to their hand. Well, guess what they started to do? Bigger is better. My phylactery is bigger than your phylactery. I'm more important than you. So at the Dead Sea, where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were unearthing, they found a phylactery the size of an igloo cooler. Could you imagine having that strapped to your head, right? Who wins in that? Your chiropractor, because you're paying him a lot of money. So in Jesus' day, it had become this show. There was all this kind of show like, ah, ah, ah. 
But do we do the same thing today? Do we do a lot of outward stuff, but it's not coming from a source of the gospel of transformation, of metamorphosis. It's coming because we want the praise of people. I read the King James Version Bible. It's the only Bible to read. Look at my giant King James Version Bible. Good for you. I got the shirt. I got the placard. I got the bumper sticker. Now, I'm not against bumper stickers. I don't have a bumper sticker on my car, and it's real simple. I think if you have a Jesus bumper sticker on your car, you better drive like Jesus. I don't drive like Jesus. I'm from the dark side, right? I thought about putting a Jehovah's Witness bumper sticker on my car because I'd make them empty. They'd be like, ah, hate those people, right? We do similar things. So what Jesus is going to do and help us, he's going to say, hey, let me give you three examples of how to practice your righteousness in a way that is inside, not outside, that is righteous, not unrighteous. He's going to do it with prayer and giving and fasting. And so today he talks about giving. He says, verse two, when you give to the needy. Not if you give to the needy. John Wesley said it like this when it comes to money. Earn all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. You want a great philosophy on money. Earn all you can. God gave us an incredible country where you can use your talents and use your gifts and use your imagination and start businesses. It's brilliant, right? Earn all you can. Work as hard as you can. It's great. Save all you can, which is not what our country does right now. And then be as generous as you possibly can. What a great philosophy. And he says, when you give, sound no trumpet before you. This could literally refer to you're on the corner, you see somebody needy, a beggar, and you hire someone to go with you, and they literally have a trumpet, and they go, and everyone kind of looks over, and you're like, watch me give to this guy, right? It's the Instagram before Instagram. That's what it was. Let everybody see what I'm doing. Could be that. Or it could refer in the synagogue to the tithe box would be this box, and they would have this funnel on that. And that funnel was called the trumpet. And there was a way that you could put your money in the trumpet where it was quiet. But there was a way that you could put your money into that trumpet where it sounded like a Las Vegas slot machine. Ching, 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 ching. Everyone's like, whoa, what was that? Woohoo! look at him. He is generous. Jesus says, when you give, don't sound the trumpet. Now, how hard is that? Have you ever had, I call it overlooked generosity, where you were generous to somebody or something or someone and they didn't recognize it? And you kind of wanted them to recognize it? How hard is that? So you go to the restaurant and you see a couple at the restaurant that you know and you decide, you know what, I'm going to pay for their meal. I'm just going to pay for it. And then they never recognize you. And you see them a week later and you're, so you're like, huh, hey. I saw you at uh, the Laughing Clam last Thursday at 7.05 p.m. How was your meal? Expensive there, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. You know, it felt like I was paying for two tables when I was there. Is that what we do? Because we're fishing for it. Because overlooked generosity can be hard. It can. 
Jesus says, don't sound the trumpet. Do it as quietly as you possibly can. And then he says, don't keep score. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't keep score. Have you ever heard it said or have you ever said yourself like, I won't give money to him or her anymore. And you'll say, well, why not? Uh, because I didn't like how they spent the money or uh, they, weren't, they didn't show me enough thanksgiving. They weren't grateful enough. Have you ever said that? I've said that. Here's what I've learned. I didn't actually give them that money. I was actually trying to buy something, buy a certain kind of behavior, buy gratitude, buy thanksgiving from them. Jesus is saying, don't do it that way. When you give, don't even, you, you forget that you gave it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Did God lead you to give to them? Then give it to them. You're doing it because God led you to do it, not because you're trying to get something back from them. What Jesus is saying here is really interesting to me. Overlook gener generosity is the cure to hypocrisy. That we are actually supposed to be that, a kind of people that look for overlooked generosity. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want to sound the trumpet. I don't want my left hand to know what my right hand is doing because that is how I get healed from this disease. And then lastly, he says this, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who's in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying this, when I, when we do our good works for the praise of people, we're aiming too low. When we're doing it for likes on social media, for applause of people, we're settling. When we're doing it out of this neediness, virtue signaling, whatever it is, it's below us. What we actually need, what you and I were designed for in the Garden of Eden, we we're designed for the Heavenly Father's reward. That's what we actually need. It's like our kids, you know this. Myron is my 10-year-old. And he's at that stage right now where when I come home from work, it's every time, dad, let me show you something. Let, watch me jump on the trampoline 10 times in a row and land it every single time. Dad, look what I found. You gotta come here and look what I found. Dad, look what I made. Dad, look at the test score I got. What is Myron wanting in that moment? He's wanting the father's reward. Great job, Myron. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Because that's how we're designed. We're designed to hear whispered into our heart, ah, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. And sadly now we live in a country because of the disintegration of family that a lot of us grew up and we never heard the father's reward. We never had a dad say to us, you're my son, you're my daughter. I am well pleased with you, good job. And because there's that hole in us, here's what happens. We fill it with unhealthy ambition. Perfectionism, I'm gonna be perfect. I'll prove to everybody. Insecurity, behaviors, addictions, pursuits of success and money and applause, and it's a black hole because you'll never get enough. Here's a hungry, hungry hippo needing more and more and more and more. And so Jesus here is saying, step off the hamster wheel. Rest from that kind of life. 
Get away from that. Quit trying to be the superhero to everybody. Let your secret identity become your only identity, right? Live for the audience of one. Live for the heavenly father's good pleasure. That's what we actually want. And do you know this? God can reward you better than any rewards you could ever think about. Do you know that? In ways that just blow your mind. I'll give an example, which is always really weird, right? Because here's like, do everything in secret. And I'm going to tell you, uh, let me give you an open, right? Okay. So it's weird, but there is a, a testimony as well. So it's always this kind of balance, right? So I'm going to give you an example, and I hope it's right. So Edgewater has a certain philosophy. We just don't advertise. We don't have an advertising budget. And I get people very frequently calling me, texting me, emailing me saying, hey, if you join us, if you will let us do this, if you give us this amount of money, man, we'll blow this thing up for you. And I always, I had this long conversation. I went back and forth with this guy multiple times. Just, no, we don't have that. We, it's not how we work. Oh, but you don't understand, man. This is how God gets glory. You, you'll uh, get the message out. God's word will go out more, right? There's, they've got all the right words. I've always got to say to them, that's not what Edgewater does. We believe that if we use our five loaves and two fish in the right way, glorifying God with them, he'll take them and use them in ways we can't imagine. That's been our trust. And it happens. So I mentioned this somehow, and I don't know how it happened. Uh, our podcasts, Wednesday nights and Sundays, get put on prison tablets. I don't know how that happens. Like, it just blows my mind. So I've talked to a couple of these guys, and they're like, yeah, it's just, just a handful, right? Because the tablets are locked down. Like, you can't just use them to go anywhere on the internet if you want to, because that would be dangerous for a prisoner. They Google, like, how to escape from prison right? So they don't let them do that. So they're locked down. So they just have a few choices and ours is one of them. Like, what in the, how does that happen? And I get these letters from these guys. And so I just got one. This was, uh, this guy sent this on April, on August 24th. I just want to read it for you. Pastor Heverly, several months ago, I found your podcast on tablets issued us inmates by the Florida Department of Corrections. I had settled in my heart that I would continue to listen to your podcasts upon release. On numerous occasions, I have attempted to sit down and express what tremendous blessing it has been for me to listen to the exposition of God's word through your teaching. You have no idea my joy to sit and watch last night's podcast in the comfort of my own home. Words fail me in my attempt to express my gratitude to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the work he has done and continues to do in me through his spirit and through your ministry. Countless times, I shared with brothers on the inside what a blessing and how anointed your ministry is. You have no idea how the Holy Spirit has used your ministry to perform heart surgery, to perform surgery in my heart and the difference your ministry has made in my life. Godspeed, my brother. I look forward to meeting you in person when we get home. On behalf of countless inmates everywhere, thank you, Pastor Heavily, both to you and everyone at Edgewater Christian Fellowship who bless us through your ministry, hard work, and faithfulness to our Lord from an ex-prisoner set free indeed. You can't plan that. You can't force that. When I think about like cool things to do, that's as, that's as good as it gets. Are you kidding, Lord? You would sneak us in to the prison system 
where people could hear about your goodness and your generosity. Are you kidding? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ask or think for his glory and my joy. When you do it in secret, when you do it for your father and that's it, he rewards you in ways you can't believe. You can't imagine. It's better. This week, do you know this, that God has good works for each one of you? It's Ephesians 2.10. This week, can I suggest something? Do whatever God has put on your heart, whatever good work it is, whatever it is, do it in secret. Don't post about it. Don't talk about it. Don't even do any, just 100% for the Father's reward. And what you'll hear is this. You'll hear whispered into your soul, you're my son. You're my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's when your cup runs over. That's when it's not the little dopamine rush that's there and gone. It's lasting and it's brilliant and it's beautiful. And it transforms who we are into the kind of people that can spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. Try it.